Welcome. Hi, everyone. It's the Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast. It is your pals, Mario and Brian, and our special guest. You know him from the beat of the week. It is our boy, Frank. Frank, going on? welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, Thanks we've been trying to make this happen guys. for a little while now. Finally, finally came together. Yeah, definitely. Been uh, looking forward to uh, sharing some good news and good streams with you guys. Excellent. Thank you. Glad we got our, our Frank Frank Total Bean this week. So Live Bean. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We do appreciate it. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. We are on all of the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. At, we're at Ski Bum Podcast. And then we're on Pinterest as the Highfalutins. And also, we are on SoundCloud as Highfalutin-SkiBum. So with that... Let's kick it off, like we always do. It's time for Opray today. And so, um, I don't really have an Opray today. Today's a Dasani. I've been running around today and uh, just drinking a little water to hydrate. Look at you. I figured we, we're going right to Vape today, so. <laughs> you know, sadly, I uh, I might be in your corner. I have I'm drinking coffee right now. It's like six hour old, like leftover work coffee in my thermos. But I think I have to go run over and grab something from the old beer fridge before, uh, before this is over because I'm getting a little parched and I'm going to have a long night tonight. So I'm not going to join that train that you guys are on because uh, there's no booze on it. So I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and uh, share my uh, little drink over here. So I'm drinking a little uh, single barrel rye jack daniels uh jack has been my favorite for many years but the single barrel ones are uh, pretty tasty it's actually pretty smooth and uh you barely even notice that it's jack uh, but it does still have that nice smoky flavor to it so it's a uh, pretty delicious how does the, uh, the jack single rye compare to the uh the regular american whiskey or Kentucky, I guess it's considered Kentucky whiskey, right? Because they don't, it's not considered a bourbon because they put it through a charcoal filter, right? It is actually considered a bourbon. So Jack, most Jack Daniels are considered a, a bourbon, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's actually, the regular is considered a Tennessee whiskey because of that charcoal filter they put it through. Mm. So that one extra step that negates it being a bourbon. Interesting. Did not know that. It's a, uh, it, I can tell you that there's a couple different single barrels and, um, the rye is a lot different than the normal single barrel. Uh, the normal single barrel almost has like a punch to it. I'm actually not a huge fan. I prefer like a uh, gentleman's Jack to it than the, um, single barrel and non rye, but the single barrel rye is a uh, very, very good. It's smooth. Um, I don't even put ice in it just straight up and it's delicious. Very nice. Um, now you're making me have some of that. Mm -hmm. All right, you know what? I'm going down because again, I always keep a couple things on hand here just in case. Damn, I'm going to go with some Hudson baby bourbon whiskey and I'm going to drink it out of the goddamn bottle like a savage because I can. Do it, man. See, I ain't even lying. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you I don't even have Hudson in there. So you I don't, don't even have, I don't even have anything here. You know, these Hudson, these Hudson whiskeys are super expensive. Like this little 375 is probably like 50 bucks. I got to tell you, man, bang for your buck. You're, there's way better whiskeys to pick up. It's tasty. I mean, someone gave it to me as a gift and I don't I'm not mad at them at all. It's delicious. But um, yeah, for this price point, I mean, Basil Hayden, Angel's Envy. I mean, you can you can do 
for 40 bucks, 45 bucks, you can do really good with bourbon. Yeah, the basil hidden rye is delicious. It's actually one of my favorites. I know you guys like that too from the other shows. So that's definitely a nice one. Rye, just the regular bourbon. Yeah, I usually mm-hmm. just have the regular. The rye, uh, I don't think I've tried the rye, the basil. Pretty good. Give it a shot. Rye's been super hot lately. Oh, and yeah. for good reason. Have you ever tried the um, Angel's Envy rye? No. It's like, it's pretty, it's usually like 80 bucks. So it's pretty spendy, but it's a, it's angels envy rye and it's aged in Caribbean rum casks. Like that's how they finish it off. Cause like that's their whole thing is they always finish something off and like the regular bourbon is finished off in port wine barrels. This is done in rum casks. And, uh, Mario, you actually gave me that bottle like a bunch of years ago. That was so awesome. Like delicious. Good stuff. Also the whistle, uh, we had the whistle pig rye, didn't we? Whistle pig is rye by I think it's Is it always rye? Pin I think rye? they're always rye, yeah. But they got a few different varieties of that one, too. Yeah. So That's if someone else is paying. You go with the whistle pig. Someone, someone else is buying. I'm going whistle pig or I don't know, one of the other lovely drinks out there. Indeed. I made it a point that when I uh, turn 40, I want to buy myself a bottle of uh, the Frank Sinatra um, Jack Daniels uh, limited edition. They have, I believe, a 30-year age one, which is, I think, somewhere in the neighborhood of like $2,600 a bottle. So, yeah. So when I turn 40, I'm going to take that. And since my birthday is in the summer, I'm going to be drinking that down in Chile. I like that plan. Are you saving up for the bottle now? Because that's not cheap. Um, no, I just, I'll just pull it out of some bad investment that I've made. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you, Snapchat. Exactly. <laughs> Actually, they're carrying it at Sam's Club right now. What? Ooh, how much is it? I don't have a price on it. Uh, Selector Club for price and availability. Let's see. Let's do, um... Sam and Jack together. Powerful combination. All right, by Secaucus. Let's see. Ah, oh, sorry, not available. Duh. Isn't like Secaucus one of those like uh, economic zones with only like three and a half percent tax? I think you're right. A lot of businesses are based out of there. Also, uh, one of the biggest dispensaries in New Jersey will be based out of there in a couple months, I believe. Yeah, it's the one yeah. that's, uh, they're, they're building now, right? Yeah. So they're, they're setting it up? Yeah. Because what, there's like only, like, I think, six now in the whole state? Yeah, they want to shoot that number up to a couple hundreds if, from what I've been reading. Oh, I have a list. It's not in, I checked like five different zip codes and it's not available in any of them. It's just one yeah, live. Just I saw it once in Wegmans, and that was about it. So I haven't seen it since. So that's why uh, it needs to wait for a special occasion. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Bevmo has it. They deliver, right? One hundred and five dollars club bev. One hundred and five. One hundred and five dollars. So what's that? Let's see. Ah, uh, they don't have any in New Jersey. But they deliver. I still need to try out that website you guys uh, displayed a couple weeks ago for the craft beer. Uh, that sounds great. I got, definitely got to do that for a little bit at Sip of Sunshine, which apparently in Vermont, like you guys have mentioned, has become water at this point. 
Yeah, well, they're, um, yeah. they're brewing it also in Connecticut now. That's the big thing that um, Two Roads Brewery, which is in Stratford, which it's like right off of 95, like just past Bridgeport. So it's like not that far up um, 95. Yeah, they, um, they, that's their main, uh, main brewery now. So they crank it out there. And then Lawson's up in Vermont makes, I think, more of the, uh, the other smaller bottles of stuff. Nice. Yeah. So you could, yeah, it's becoming a lot more prominent. So even if you go to Connecticut, like in Fairfield County, a lot of liquor stores have it there. So that's where my mother-in-law is. So, you know, she's like, Oh, I got some sip of sunshine for you. And at first I was like, Oh my God. Now I'm like, cool. New default. I like it. (laughs) Just get spoiled. It's like with anything. Like, remember the first time you had sex, you're like, this is the most amazing thing ever. I want to do this 24 seven. And they're kind of like, cool. You know, same kind of thing. You just, you keep ratcheting up your expectations in life so that, you know, certain things that used to be amazing just become kind of normal. I'll say my second time was probably better than my first time, though. I think my first time probably sucked. Yeah, the first time, it should suck. It should be embarrassing. Yeah. It should be terrible. You should regret yes. everything. Yeah. But then, you know, then you kind of know what I'm saying. I, I'm, you're getting the metaphor, I guess. I get it. I get it. I see you where you're it, going. Right? All right. All right. So I think on that note, I think we should roll right into. Let's get into the Genjula. I think this is the big, uh, the money spot here. This is what we were uh, waiting for all week. Yes. So Frank, since usually we uh, we honor the guests with your bean of the week, why don't we let you do your thing with it? Excellent. So uh, I actually have an ensemble of different strains in front of me, but uh, this week's bean of the week is going to be Tahoe cookies. Now, I might have uh, suggested this a couple of months ago when I was out in Tahoe, but I actually didn't try it when I was there. So um, my contact uh, was able to get it in this area. So I uh, have it right here, a little fresh grind. And uh, I am using my uh, DaVinci IQ Pro, which is an awesome little uh, gadget for vaping because, I don't know, I'm a health fitness just like everybody else who skis is or everybody else who skis properly is. And um, basically, uh, I like vaping because I don't want any of other stuff inside of me. So, one minute with the uh, DaVinci, you said that one's really good because um, it was – you said you liked it better than some of the other ones out there because why you, you can control like the temperature and stuff. Like what was so, the deal with that? Yeah. So there's a couple different things. So uh, if you can see here, the first thing is the attachment on the top. See how it has this little like a uh, glass pipe here. It's actually ceramic. Um, so it doesn't heat up or anything. And it's nice for like uh, when you're passing it around at a party, it's kind of like easy to get to and it's clean. You can also take it out and swap it with a mouthpiece, which is a little bit shorter than this. And it's just like, basically it has just like holes in the middle without the pipe that sticks out. And uh, basically just kind of like put it right up to it so you could put it in your pocket a little bit easier and be a little bit, you know, just uh, inconspicuous to things and uh, not so much out in the open. Um, but the cool thing is that, yeah, so if I fire it up right now, you'll see it's like five clicks to start it up. And as you start it up, uh, it has a little, uh, LED display in the front, which either has an auto uh, feature to it, which you could choose your level two, three, or four. And what happens is it starts in a certain range of temperature. And within that temperature, it starts low. So you get more of the CBD, which will burn off if you go too high. And then as you use it, 
um, it will go higher and higher because obviously the flower starts burning as the time goes on. But you can also change it to display the temperature. So right now you can see it's actually heating up 350, 360. So with this feature, I'll stop right here. And, uh, you know, it vibrates when it's ready and you kind of puff onto that. Uh, just vibrate it and... Damn, enjoy the ride, Frank. So it's... Uh, Pretty delicious, uh, very uh, very earthy, nice and clean. A little bit of pine taste to it. Um, smooth. I, I can't tell you the after effects just yet. I will though in about like uh, two minutes or so. So we'll, we'll touch base on that in a second. So hopefully I won't start uh, live. Exactly. Well, you have to do it. You can't. You know, you can't talk about it without being about it, right? That's right. Um, but uh, the other features in this little vape, uh, getting back to it, are actually the compartment that um, stores the flower in it. You um, open it up and it has like a, a smooth little, you see that it has just a smooth little uh, metallic finish to it. So as you grind it, you can just put it right in it and just tilt it over and it just goes right into uh, the little chamber there. And then it has a little ceramic ball that just soft packs it in and you shut the door and that's really it. So... That is pretty slick. So they definitely this this is not an accident. Anything they did on this vape, they uh, they really thought this one through. I'm sure they're very. <laughs> Probably spent more time on that than uh, like the space program last few years. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> can't put a rocket on, uh, on. We can't send anybody to Mars. But we can make a damn vape that will get you. <laughs> Listen, exactly. why, why go to Mars when you can stay on Earth next to Pizza Hut and vape and think you're on Mars? That's right. What do you, why do you need Mars? Right? Yeah, they, they, like gas wasted? Exactly. Um, so uh, that strain um, is an indica. So uh, um, a lot of the features of it are supposed to be kind of relaxed, happy, um, doesn't give you munchies or anything like that. Um, and I'm not sure in the percentage of it. I actually don't have it in front of me as far as the numbers are concerned, but I would estimate that it's probably in the high 20s as far as THC is concerned. Yeah, um, we just have that bar of like the effects, which I, I always look at. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it feels nice though. It's, uh, it's very calming, relaxing. I'm not like, you know, jittery or out of whack or anything like that. And um, so it feels really nice. Um, but with that to kind of, uh, it, you know, that's really nice if you're sitting at home, but it does still give off that, you know, herb smell. So you don't want to, you don't want to be in public and puffing on it. Uh, people are going to know that what you're smoking. Right. And um, so, uh, when you're doing that, I would typically go with the concentrates, which I have here. Um, and this is, uh, this one's fruit punch from a uh, space vape that I have. Um, I have a couple of them, but, uh, this is nice to kind of offset the indica, um, this is, uh, you know, more of a sativa. So we'll make the combination and we'll kind of keep it level instead of getting too tired as I keep talking. Nice. Right. Well, I'm sure you heard us last week talking about how de Blasio in New York is not going to have, he's told the cops don't arrest people for smoking weed in the city. Yeah. And that's a great move. I mean, at this point, we've wasted so much government money trying to just control this. And it's like, it's insane. And now, you know, with that said, I'm not, it, you know, I'm not too crazy about going overboard with like freedoms with doing stuff. I think there should be heavy regulations, but there should be regulations. 
right? So regulate it, um, you know, choose an age group, make sure that it's properly protected, make sure that um, what, when you give out the product, it has seals for safety for kids, so kids can't get to it if it's edibles. You know, some, you know, I'm in favor of legalization, but I'm also in favor of people being responsible. Um, I think that's what screws up a lot of things, right? You get a bunch of morons who don't know how to behave when trying out a certain product or don't realize that they're out of control when using a certain product. And then all of a sudden it gives the entire product a bad name, regardless of what that product is. Well, too, and, you know, to go along with that, one of the nice things about when you go to a place where it is legalized is that you know what you're getting. You know, it hasn't been laced with anything. It hasn't been cut with anything. Because I mean, I'm sure everybody knows someone who's like, man, I can't smoke weed. I smoked it once in college. I was, you know, running around naked. It's like, you weren't smoking weed, man. Someone put like angel dust or freaking crack rock. Like our buddy Gary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crack. Running down, running down the street, smoking crack. <laughs> That's funny. I think, uh, stories ever. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting one because, uh, smoking it is very controlled, right? So I know how many hits of this I can take and that'd be totally out of whack, right? Um, edibles though, it's a whole different story. Um, that's the part of the business where I think needs to be, you know, basically a little bit more, uh, looked into, yeah, because quite frankly, I don't think that the labels match the you know how much content is in it. Uh, I've tasted some that they claim it has like you know, um, you know, thirty milligrams of THC, and I and I try it. I'm like, there's no way because I'm plastic, or the total opposite. There's no way I can barely feel this. So so that's hard to regulate. So I think they should do a better job with that. Yeah, I think they started uh, this year. They start uh, putting like a a star or something like like that on the gummies in Colorado to indicate that it has, uh, has, uh, legal marijuana in it. That's a good move. Was there a a question about like, yeah, being able to tell the difference. So that's what they, they did, I guess. Yeah. Joe Rogan's got a great bit about that in his last stand-up special on Netflix. He talks about, he's like, man, he's like, never know what you're going to get with those edibles. He's like, look, look who's making them. He's like, some dude with like long greasy hair and a Grateful Dead t-shirt. He's stirring the pot and he forgets if he put weed in, so he puts more weed in. And then he forgets if he put weed in, so he put more weed in. That's great. Yeah. That's going uh, to come to with, you know, when things are legalized and, and you know, hostess can make more money, they'll stop making their freaking uh, diabetes biscuits and then get into probably getting some commercial bakery set up and, you know, have a little more you know, uh, compliance and, you know, understanding of how much, you know, proper ingredients going into these recipes. Imagine like weed ho-hos. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Little Debbie little making De- weed. Little weed Debbie. <laughs> little dirty Debbie. Little Dabby. Little Dabby. That'd be good. The, the best ones that I've had were like uh, little truffles that were just uh, THC lace and each one had, uh, you know, the quantity of it was 20. Uh, which is nice. 20 is a good number because it kind of, you know, it just gives you the nice buzz in the last or like, you know, three hours or so when it's an edible, <laughs> so, which is great. But uh, it was so good. I mean, it was just delicious. I've had that and I've had a, and I've had a popcorn where the butter was all done in it. Um, another one was perfect. Yeah. I was just laughing because I was thinking about my 300 milligram chocolate bar I got in Canada. Oh, Holy shit, dude. It was the it was size tiny. of a regular little bar. I thought it was going to be like a super-sized... No, it was a tiny little bar. I was like, there's no way I can even eat... One of those squares was like 60 milligrams. I'm like, that's like 
the size of like one of those uh, Hershey's nuggets. It was like fun size. I was like, that's like 60 milligrams. That was one section out of six. I was like, holy crap. There's no way. That yeah, can help me how small that was. No, yeah, 60 will definitely make you fly for sure. And I got some funny stories in regarding with taking too much at once, which we may have to save for another one because each story is probably like 20 minutes long. So I'll leave those alone for now. That You know what? I'm telling you, in those like really hot summer days, like July and August, when we, you know, we're like, what are we going to talk about? We'll have you back on and we'll get some of these. Uh, we'll just have like a little, uh, we'll all get baked and we'll have a little, uh, little story time. Yeah. Nice. That would be a lot of fun, I think. Story time. Tell us a story, Frank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of a book, just like <laughs> curl up to a, a Frank story. Frank's bedtime bean time story. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I gotta say, out of all the things, like you know, you hear people with alcohol stories. The weed stories are usually the most like interesting and funny stories out there because there are like everybody's been part of them and everybody's heard them, and they're better than like because the drunk stories are always somebody vomited. Somebody got hurt. Somebody did something really stupid and got arrested. Like, there's always some bad story, you know? Yeah, the weed yeah. story is like, it's almost like it, with an alcohol story, there has to be a winner and the loser in the end. But like with the weed stories, it can be like all winners. Um, usually I lose with some weed stories. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, might, I might have perhaps a long time ago uh taking a dorito chip and uh dipped in inside of a uh citron handle candle <laughs> might have who knows that maybe never happened but nonetheless the lesson is somebody can lose yeah you, you know what did you really lose you got a good story out of it so you did win there was no police involved there was no oh man yeah you need a new liver after that you know it's still it's still pretty nice it's true it doesn't go dark like Still a lot of alcohol funny. stories go dark. Yeah, they're like people don't even want to tell them. They're like, yeah, it was a bad time. It's just you know you got to protect names and stuff. <laughs> protect the innocent. Oh yeah, crazy stuff. I gotta stop uh, puffing away at this. I forgot that I have another story to talk about later. So I should <laughs> put this down because I'm nonchalantly talking to you guys. I realized that I just took like five hits off the vape and four to concentrate. So <laughs> oh boy. I'm going to be passed out over here on the desk. <laughs> so Frank's bedtime story there. <laughs> well, according to Leafly, you're going to have some dry mouth and a little paranoia. So Ooh, I can see the dry mouth. Definitely. Um, paranoia. Um, not really, but I'm also in my own safe environment at home. So yeah. what are you trying to say, Brian? <laughs> what do you mean by that? That's PCP. What the hell, man? <laughs> All right. So we got a couple stories while we're still in the gondola. And um, the first one comes from, you know, our, our good friend, Mr. Jeff Sessions over at the uh, Secretary of State. And we, we actually tweeted out a couple days ago or, or Instagram posted um, a screenshot of the TV. I was just at the gym and the TV was on and it was like a breaking news bar. And I'm like, oh, what's breaking right now? And it was it said President Trump regrets choosing Jeff Sessions as attorney general which I thought was hysterical and I'm sure most of us agree on. Um, but this article on Leafly was talking about how the, um, you know, the whole crackdown that he planned and that was, you know, his vision is really not as bad as it all seemed back in 2017. You know, I know the, uh, as a you know, full disclosure, as a cannabis investor, 
you know, a lot of people were like starting to freak out about like, oh no, this is going to be terrible for weed stocks and, you know, legalization because they're going to start, you know, busting down dispensaries and it's going to be going back to prohibition. But it really hasn't, hasn't been that bad. You know, a lot of people are not just like rolling down and, and, you know, doing what he's telling us, you know, people to do. He's like, they're like, no, we're making good money here. People aren't getting hurt. We're going to keep doing this. So pretty interesting stuff. Yeah, I'm excited to see how, uh, likewise, as a fellow investor, uh, I'm excited to see how it all turns out um, to see which company survives. Obviously, you know, diversified a little bit between uh, a, a lot of like the medical companies that have invested into it and then some of the recreational companies that have invested into it or pretty much just like, you know, big hedge fund companies that are just buying into it. Um, so I'm just splitting it up like that. I'm curious to see which one pays off or if none of them do. It's a risk, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's with Canada supposedly going legal this summer. It's going to be interesting too, because a lot of the big Canadian LP stocks are the ones that people were starting to get on board for first because they were, but I guess there's been some pushback now. I'm not sure about when they're actually going to do it. Like that always happens. They pass it and then they postpone when it's going to actually go in. Well, Massachusetts, it was supposed to go live January. Now they're saying July, not July 1st, July-ish. It's like, come on, man. Like yeah. the people voted. They they voted for having it in January. And now you dickheads. So you can go, you know, get your, uh, you know, pay for your buddies to get a dispensary set up. You got to push it out. Like it's, it's just gross. And I think, you know, as you get a little older and mature and understand how the world works, you can really see this stuff for what it is and not just for the bullshit they kind of feed you, you know, the nonsense lines like, oh, we're concerned about the public. No, you're not. Go fuck yourself. What about your own, you know, pocketbook is what you're worried about and making sure you're getting as much as you possibly can with this. Bunch of shills. Man. I mean, there's nothing that has ever, you know, confirmed that they care about the public's health whatsoever. The food pyramid is upside down. Um, you know, everything they've ever told us was true isn't like the case whatsoever. And now they finally, I was reading that they finally uh, said that there's absolutely no fact that tells you um, if any food or vitamin helps cardiac arrests, I'm like, okay, great. So everything you told us has pretty much been alive for now. Yeah. Yep. Thanks a lot. <laughs> you know, the sugar industry paying, paying for those studies saying that saturated fat is what causes, you know, heart disease when it really was, you know, sugar and, and carbs the whole time. It's just gross, but you know what? It's all coming to light now with the, the internet has provided a new platform for us to share information you know, and it's, uh, it's important, you know, people do need to know the truth. And once they start, you know, turning off their TVs and listening and reading things, it really can change your whole perspective on all, not just, you know, marijuana, but on like a lot of things, because you start on, you know, opening, like going behind the curtain on one thing and it makes you want to go behind on a couple other things. And you really start questioning a lot of things in life. And you know, it's almost like you're in the matrix. Then things kind of like slow down and you can like read the code and see what's going on. You're like, I get what these assholes are doing. They're just fucking with us. Yeah. All that. And you're sitting there drinking a garbage can sized Coke in the uh, movie theater, right? There you go. Right. <clears throat> it's crazy. Yep. All right. Next up we got in Florida, a judge says Florida's ban on smokable marijuana is unconstitutional. Boom. So I'm not surprised because Florida, everybody smokes here everywhere you go. So it doesn't really matter if it's supposed to be indoors, public, whatever. Everybody loves to smoke everywhere. So, um, yeah, Florida judge uh, said that the, I guess they passed a rule 
um, last apparent when they passed that that smoke, they weren't going to allow smoking uh, in 2016. Um, well, 2016 they approved it, uh, and then I guess immediately after they passed a ban on smoking. So I guess they could do the edibles or whatever. Um, so now they they ruled that uh, they can smoke it again, which is just ridiculous. So. Yeah, it's again just politicians jockeying and you know trying to trying to show power and trying to make their money. It's a lot of BS moves. They go, they they do one thing to appease one group, and then they, you know, overall it's like hurting the general population. You know. Yeah. So it's. I think it's all about to uh, blow up into legal federally everywhere and really fast because um, remember how uh, New Jersey has been trying to get. sports gambling like a go for like years now yeah. Oh, yeah so they had a huge case open with the federal government which they just won this year which pretty much the federal government agreed that um the state's rights to choose whatever is legal surpasses federal meaning that whatever is legal in the state you know, federal government must recognize it. So meaning that, so the reason why they were so hesitant to do so is because if federal didn't legalize sports gambling, then essentially the same issue that happens with trying to move your weed money that you earn in Colorado or California happens with sports gambling. So therefore, you know, since so many people are invested in gambling in New Jersey, you know, think about AC and that fiasco, um, that basically making that legal, um, opens up the door for federal marijuana and these states finally being able to take the money that they made off of marijuana and put it into actual real banks because right now they can't do anything with the money they earn. So it's actually pretty cool because I think now that that has happened, we're going to use that as because of this case, you have to let this go and it's just going to be, you know, a domino effect. Yeah. Once the precedent is set, that's when the, yeah, like you said, the floodgates open up. So if somebody wants me to hold their weed money, just let me know. <laughs> I'm willing. I, I got a mattress. I got, you know, bed. I actually just built the bed and there's a lot of storage underneath. I could probably fit a lot of money under there. Nice. I'm, I'm just offering my services for a percentage. Let's go to ski news. All right. So there's a New Zealand skier that opens weeks ahead of schedule. Thanks to a major winter blast. So, um, Everybody in New Zealand's already skiing, uh, gearing up for the 2018 season, uh, and they're saying there was a huge snow, um, early season snowfall that dropped a heap of snow in the Southern Alps and resorts that were um, set to open for the season mid June. Um, but they're actually saying um, they may be opening this coming weekend uh, in Cardona um, before the you know uh, trying to do a preseason teaser before the official opening day so they're saying um june 16th is what we're getting ready for so they said they had over 90 centimeters of natural snow which is what's that in american let's say 40 inches right that's a lot of is it two 2.2 that is 35 inches there we go 35.4 35.4 inches. That's three feet me. then, right? That's not bad. Yeah. Plus they were blowing snow. Yeah, that's pretty wild. That's a nice little kickoff for them. Wouldn't it be so nice to be able to have to decide, like, where am I going to go in June? Should I go to South America 
or should I go to New Zealand? These are the problems I, I want to have. I'd love to go to New Zealand. New Zealand look just is like amazing looking place. I think you pretty much need like two weeks just to even bother though, because of how long it takes to get there. Yeah. They kick you out though. They're very strict on their, um, not hanging around past your, uh, past a certain amount of time. Oh, you know really? what? Yeah. I knew somebody that was married to uh, a girl that was from New Zealand and he would go over there with the family and they would spend time over there, but they couldn't spend, you know, an extended amount of time because, you know, she had family and stuff because, uh, he said they're very strict with the, you know, getting in on your visa and getting the hell out. They didn't want to have people just disappear and live there. I respect that. That's uh, that's why they keep it so nice there. They got to protect the hobbits. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, if you only knew the mental picture that I got with that. <laughs> hobbits are, uh, you know, they don't want people encroaching on their territory. They have a, like a Donald Trump hobbit out there, like sending people back. I wonder how accurate, like, uh, like uh, hobbits feet are to like what your foot would become if you never had shoes they're like half the are they half men are they half the size of a person are they like they're kind of almost like yeah more yeah almost like a little gorilla-ish right because you gotta think like if you're not wearing shoes your feet are gonna get a lot stronger you know they're not gonna have you know because right now when you wear most most shoes or sneakers have that you know that insole and the you know the um support i mean it's like having a cast on all the time they're not like fully growing the muscles in your feet Hmm, so you're saying like a, a just a hairy little person running around? Sort of. Like what was that on a what was that stupid show, Land of the Lost? Back in the day. Remember yes. that show? Yeah. That little furry lady. <laughs> <laughs> With the sleeve stacks. The sleeves. I hated those sleeve stacks like those bad guys. And then there was like that little furry lady. Yeah, but those sleeve stacks were like zombies. They move at like two miles an hour. Like you just run away. That's like, true. I'm, I'm out of here, bitches. Well, but the little furry lady. So now if you were a hobbit and you were to ski, like what kind of like ski boot would you get? You're probably in something really, I guess, really wide and, but also small. You have to get mm-hmm. like the, you know, the Technica chakas. How, how would the binding work out? Would you just screw right into your foot? Oh yeah. You're like, a, you're like a Cro-Magnum. So. You have enough calluses in there? Just like buckle right in? Yeah. Like, or just yeah. take a nail and just bolt it to your, uh, and just nail your uh, foot to the to the ski. It's a three inch framing screw, just right in. Then, yeah, but with those crazy wide feet they have, wouldn't they need like a minimum like one twenty five hundred foot, but it have to be like a hundred and twenty seven long. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. Big like planks right on It'd that. Be, like feet. two lunch trays, pretty much on their feet. <laughs> they may have to. I think they may actually have to snowboard. I don't think they can ski. Think about that for a second. <laughs> They're always gonna sink. It's impossible. They can't bend their knees enough to affect the ski. That's mm. heavy enough to even be able to carry a long ski. It wouldn't go anywhere. That's true. They're going to have to be some, damn, they're snowboarders. Huh? Yeah. Hmm. Well, silly hobbits. This could be a good science experiment. Yeah. We got to find a hobbit first. We got to find, we, gotta, we can make one. What would <laughs> be the ideal ski for a hobbit? <laughs> we can make a hobbit. <laughs> hey, maybe we could ask a. Maybe we can ask Parlor to make a, a Hobbit ski. Yes, that would be awesome. Like, this ski's not for me; it's for my Hobbit friend. Custom made <laughs> Hobbit ski. I, uh, I, when I was in uh, in 
um, Little Cottonwood Canyon. I was at one of the lodges over there under, um, what is that, Alta? Yeah. And uh, the bartender had a big sign behind him that said Midget Ski Deeper Powder. I'm like, that is awesome and true. <laughs> That's pretty deep, literally. Deep. Pretty deep. And figuratively. Could, could you imagine, like, percentage-wise, right? Inch snowstorm would feel like two feet. It'd be great. Yeah, you'd be up to your uh, up to your chin. Wow. Yeah. Balls yeah. deep forever. <laughs> yeah, we get another inch today. We like getting four inches. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So next up, the good folks at Powder put out an article this week, and they were talking about the best East Coast colleges for skiers. So the first one, probably the, the easiest one to pick off. Is, is the U on there? The U of Vermont, which is a different U. And I love the description. Um, so they talk about, you know, it's in Burlington. In-state tuition is fifteen thousand out of state thirty nine? Whoo! Yeah, pretty rough. That means you got you got to move there like two years before your kids go to college there. Is that the window? Two years? I don't know. That's what I'm assuming because that's kind of my exit plan out of here is to make my kids go to uh, and yeah, this ain't make you know, my kids go to uh, the University of Boulder, Colorado. Strongly encouraged. Right words. That's right. Mm, good call. Huh. So. Uh, Cause it's really, I mean, you can either go to that or to Colorado state. I think they're like a hundred miles apart, but basically I want to move there like two years before and then pay in state. I'm not sure what the rules are behind that. It's actually a good question. It's something we're finding out. And then when they're like, you know, sophomores, take them there and take them to Rutgers and be like, okay, you're going to choose now. Where do you want to be? (laughs) New Brunswick or Boulder? No way. Take them to Camden Ruckers. <laughs> Make it even worse. Touche. Um, yeah. <laughs> you like to go here or over there? All right. So according to the tuition law, there are three possible situations. So at least 22 years of age, uh, present, physical presence and intent must be established for 12 months prior to the first day of classes. Oh, that's not bad. It's like a year. That's not a year. Bad. University of Colorado. It's why why not even just like uh, rent a house there for a thousand dollars a month for the whole year beforehand? That's only going to cost you twelve grand, right? Don't even buy a house there. Claim residency there, then basically you get twenty thousand dollars off the first year. You make make double your money. Just buy an Airbnb for a year and then let your kid go to school. You can buy houses in Rutland for like forty five grand, like old Victorian houses that are like six bedrooms. So you buy one of those, you know, I mean, Hey, you can spend all year fixing it up. Just need something in their name for a year. Some kind of bill in the summer and then just go skiing all winter. Yeah. I think you gotta buy a ski house. You gotta do different. A lot of possibilities. Um, so, uh, yeah, you talk about university of Vermont, um, talk about Burlington, how it's referred to as the boulder of the East. And it's hard to throw a bottle of maple syrup around town without hitting a heady topper drinking Ben and Jerry's eating dedicated East Coast ski bum. <laughs> uh, and they talk about how, you know, Stowe, Jay Peak, Sugarbush, Mad River Glen, and Smugs are all within an hour's drive of campus. Um, so, yeah, it makes it a pretty, pretty popular spot. Next college, Middlebury College. 
Now, tuition there is $52,000. What? Acceptance rate, 16%. Total enrollment, 2,526 students. That's private school. They have their own ski hill. I know so because I uh, pull off on it on the way to Sugarbush through donuts in my car with. No. Well, that's exactly what they say. The Middlebury Snowball. That's their, uh, the school yeah. owned it since 1934. Wow. Yeah, I did like a thousand donuts in their parking lot with my car this winter. It was awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they said it's actually a very, it's actually a very good academical, academic school. Academical. Academical. I'm I'm good at school too. Um, Liberal arts school, you know, one of those, the quintessential Vermont, New England kind of liberal arts schools. Um, One cool thing is they have a thing called the winter term for students to enroll in only one class during the month of January, leaving skiers with plenty of time to hit the slopes. Nice. How cool is that? Nice. And then if you're an undergraduate, you get to end the college career with a shred down snowball and your cap and gown in February. It's kind of like a pre bum before college. It's like a a sample bumming. Kind of. An expensive bumming though. Yeah. is it like a well-known school though? Like I know the university of Vermont is, you know, well-known and if you get a degree from there, it's perfectly fine. But is like Middlebury a well-known school? Again, it's a liberal, liberal arts school. So who knows, you know, yeah. I mean, if you're going to be like a poet, maybe it'll be good or a philosopher. <laughs> a top poet university. I want you to philosophize me. <laughs> <laughs> philosophize skiing all winter. That's what they can philosophize. Exactly. So next up, University of New Hampshire. Uh, 18,000 in-state, 33 out-of-state. Acceptance rate, 80%. So they're happy to have you, which is nice. <laughs> um, and they say, where to ski? You got Loon and Sunday River. Uh, they said it's not the closest school to skiing on the East Coast, but when the University of New Hampshire's Ski and Board Club is the biggest club on campus, you know you'll be in the company of some like-minded snow enthusiasts. Two hours from Loon and two and a half hours from Sunday River in Maine, the Ski and Board Club offers shuttles to the mountains on the weekends, including a big overnight trip to Sugarloaf. One of the few schools on the list with close access to the ocean, UNH is also one of those rare schools where surfing and skiing in the same weekend isn't completely out of the question. Very wow. cool. Next up, Plymouth State University. Uh, that is up in, I think it's also in New Hampshire. Waterville um, Valley, yeah. Yeah, so they got Loon and Waterville Valley. Uh, when a school starts recruiting future students on the mountain, you know it's going to be a good fit for skiers. New this year, Plymouth State University opened up a base camp at Waterville Valley, just 20 miles away from campus, where high school skiers could meet some of the admissions team as well as score some free lift tickets. So they're 30 minutes away from some of the top parks in the Northeast at Loon and Waterville along with easy access to the unique backcountry terrain of Mount Washington and the presidential range, says PSU Ski Club member David Baird. The school has a large number of skiers and various clubs and organizations put on a number of events each year, the largest being our Get Jibby With It Rail Jam in February. They also have an annual ski day where the whole campus gets free lift tickets for the day at Waterville Valley. Interesting. And last... Last up, we got one more, but this is in Michigan, believe it or not. Northern Michigan University. Bank for your buck is there. 10,000 in-state, 16 out-of-state. Um, wow. 
Yeah, it's in the uh, the Michigan's Upper Peninsula. It's on the shores of Lake Superior and whips up a whole lot of lake effect snow during the winter months, leaving the campus snow covered more months than not throughout the year. Two and a half hours from campus sits one of the Midwest's greatest untouched treasures, Mount Bohemia, which boasts the only true Midwest powder skiing with an average of 273 inches of snow across their entirely ungroomed ski hill. You also got Marquette Mountain, which is less than 10 minutes from campus, making it possible to still get in some turns during your lunch break or after hours with lifts open until 830 most nights of the week. Well, where are the guys from uh, Aspen Extreme from? Weren't they from there? Like Brighton? Brighton, right? I think it was Brighton, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a great movie. God, I haven't seen that. Was it, what's his name, Ledecky? Yeah. Ledecky? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, so I have like a ritual of movies that I like to watch before the um, ski season starts, you know, when it's like, august september and like you're just going nuts you're done with summer you're done with spring you're done with everything you just want it to snow you just want to hit the slope again and like i just have like a series of movies that i veg out to and like stay away from the heat nice. and uh, that is definitely one of them hot dog wow. movie. yeah hot dog the movie is funny too we should do an episode on that in like september yeah yes have a little uh preseason uh ski movie festival apocalypse snow one, two, and three. Apocalypse snow. Oh, God. We'll just play the movie in the background and, like, just talk about the movie the whole podcast. <laughs> It'll be like Mystery <laughs> Science Podcast 4000. <laughs> oh, that'd be awesome. We Mystery go. Skiing Podcast 4000. I like it. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> cool. All right, so that was it for the uh, universities. Yep. All right. Uh, next up, we have. I feel like this is uh, pretty timely now that they have sports gambling. I think we could do weather gambling. Um, that's the that's the next frontier. So Noah is calling for a decent chance of El Nino this coming winter. So they're kind of actually kind of grouping areas into winners, losers, and wild card wild cards, which are favorites. You know, this is where you start putting the twist and start gambling on it. Uh, we should do a, a future gambling future on snow futures. Um, so winners are saying the Southwest currently Southwest is the heavy favorite moving into winter. Uh, according to Noah, the majority of the snow, uh, Southwest regions have a good chance of above average precipitation this winter, uh, Northern California, including, including the Mount Shasta region, uh, often does well during an El Nino season. Uh, Colorado is, uh, as a whole, a bit of a wild card during El Nino events, but, they're saying the resorts in the southern parts of the state could see a season that will hopefully put this past season behind them. Like Wolf Creek. Yeah. Uh, losers, they're saying. Losers, they're saying. Losers. Uh, Pacific Northwest, so they're saying the prediction does not bode well for them. Idaho, Montana, falling in line with the Pacific nor- Northwest. Uh, the Northern Rocky Mountain states are all projected to have weak winters uh, on deck with Montana predicted to have a sharp downturn from the season's historic snowfalls. Interesting. Uh, and the Midwest. So it looks like Mount Brighton is in for a particularly bad year, less the average snowball snowfall being projected. Uh, wild cards, Wyoming, Utah, and the Northeast. So let's see, Wyoming, they're saying, um, Nobody knows how it's going to shake out with El Nino. has varying effects. Uh, depends on the jet stream. 
Uh, Utah is a real is probably the, the biggest wild card because they say it could be either great or devastating to them. Um, and the Northeast, they're saying as of now, Northeast has an equal chance of snowfall, uh, equal chance of average snowfall, according to NOAA. Um, and then we'll just have to wait for a polar vortex or exploding bomb, whatever they got going, snowfall. What was it? Bomb cyclone? That was the last snowfall. The bomb so. cyclone. Yeah, that was two years ago or a year and a half. <laughs> We're going to have something like, you know, uh, some other huge catastrophic sounding snowfall to, to bring, I guess, the Northeast up. Yeah, they're, they're just going to play words with friends and just pull out a bunch of uh, ominous sounding adjectives and put them together. We need a term for something weather, cyclone, and then something scary, bomb. All right, perfect. All right. Snowmageddon was, uh, I think that was the most, uh, the classiest name yet. That was a good one. Simple, effective, makes perfect sense. I heard Frankenstorm. That was one. Remember Frankenstorm? Frankenstorm? Yeah. Um there's, there's a bunch of them out there, but now they're naming them too, which is just ridiculous. Uh, I know like hurricanes are one thing, but now they're naming winter storms. Well, they named the winter storms. And then just this last week we had Alberto, which was not a, not a hurricane, not even a tropical storm. It was a subtropical storm that they now name. So I'm like, so this is just a storm and just giving it a name. <laughs> <laughs> Thunderstorm Fred. They're like, yeah, th- this helps our rating. So let's just name everything. That gives you a hashtag to put on your stupid story. You know, it just gives you something to play with. Yeah. Like we're expecting showers today. It's going to be shower season Fred coming through the area. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It is. So this is this next story. Last one for the ski news is coming off the heels of last week where we talked about that uh, Blacktail Mountain being for sale in Montana. Nice. The Maple Valley ski area in Dummerston, Vermont has just sold for $745,000. Damn, we could be like buying stuff up. Dude, if we had a good investor. Just bought a goddamn ski resort for $745,000. Man, can you imagine if you hit the Powerball last week? That could have been you. Just Dude, like- the house across the street from me just sold for like a million dollars. That's true. They you could have probably- bought a freaking ski resort instead. They're stupid. You could probably do that with like three or four of us get together and pull our money together. Seriously. So this one is up in, uh, so this is right off of, if you're familiar with the Vermont area, it's just north of Brattleboro, which is like southern, southeastern Vermont, right along the um, Route 91, which is kind of the border between New Hampshire and Vermont. It's been uh, abandoned or, you know, it's been out of business since 2000. So 18 years, it's been, you know, kind of boarded up. And now uh, this company the good folks of MVS Associates have purchased it. Oh no, they uh, was purchased from MVS Associates um, by a company called Sugar Mountain Holdings, based in Connecticut. Now, one thing that says they're unclear what their plans are for the resort, uh, but I mean, I guess anything is better than anything is better than it just being sitting around doing nothing. Wow. Pripyat. Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Maybe it'll be a a factory. Maybe a ski factory. So I wonder, like, are there any other ski resorts around here that are for sale? Seems like by the time you find out of them, they're they're already sold. Yeah, be be first in. They said the property was assessed for 1.4 million. 
Good deal. Got it for you know seven forty five, so not a bad deal. We're gonna have a new show, Flip the Ski Resort. Flip this resort, I know. Just flip that it. would be awesome. It's gonna flip it. They'll sell it to you now for one point four million if you want it. <laughs> Make a profit. That's crazy. All right, so that about wraps up the ski news for the week. So on to our main topic. And this week, we're keeping it kind of jazz, kind of freestyle. Uh, Frank, we got you as you're actually our main topic. One of the things that, you know, we, we've been mentioning, you know, kind of talking back and forth on, you were talking about your uh, your recent trip up to Tuckerman's in, um, and Tuckerman's is technically, is it, is it actually Mount Washington or is it one of the presidentials up there? No, it's uh, it's one of the faces of Mount Washington. It is. Okay. Yeah. The floor is yours, good sir. So I've been looking at doing Mount Washington for a few years now. Like, uh, I mean, you guys have obviously heard of Tuckerman's and, you know, ski movies, et cetera. It's like a rite of passage for people in the Northeast to ski. So, you know, I've been wanting to do it for a while. And basically, um, when I was out in Jackson Hole this year, my buddy said that he wanted to do it too. So we're like, all right, let's put a weekend together and get this done. So uh, basically, um, you kind of decide on a weekend and you hope that the weather is going to cooperate with you uh, because it can get extremely crazy and uh you just kind of start preparing for it so i read a bunch of blogs and everything that told me um what to wear and um luckily one of the sites that told me to get um basically metal spikes for uh you know, my hiking boots as you hike up to the actual ski area. Um, so I got that, which ended up coming very, very much into good use. Um, so just preparing for it was a huge task, getting everything together, um, you know, being ready for pretty much three different seasons because you start hiking and it feels like, I mean, the day that we hiked, I think the bottom was uh, 65, 68 degrees. I mean, people were hiking in shorts and like a t-shirt. Um, Basically, you got to plan for that, right? So I basically did it where I hiked in um, the under, like, you know, my under armors that I wear underneath my ski pants, typically. I just hiked in that while my ski pants were packed away in my bag. And then as you go up, it drops. I mean, it drops pretty quick, too. As you get into the woods, it drops. And uh, you then start adding, you know, layers. And then once you get really close to the whole hiking area, it, it, you're cold. You, you need to put every single layer on and get ready to hike. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's, uh, definitely one of the coolest, like, uh, things that I've ever done as far as like adventure slash skiing. I've done a lot of backcountry, you know, I've done, you know, pretty much all the backcountry or side country at Jackson hole. Um, I've done a lot of backcountry in Tahoe cause my cousins live out there. And, uh, this is probably some of the gnarliest, not just adventure, but also skiing um, that I've done in the backcountry, and and it's not even close. Like it's like yeah, just the effect that it has on you, just for being out there in the woods and not in a resort somewhere, is like nothing that you'll experience because it just you have to do it just to feel it. You know, it's uh, it's it's just you. If you get hurt out there, you know that it just took you literally about two and a half hours to get there so there's no help anywhere nearby and so it's uh there's a care 
Taker cabin that I think uh, they have some type of uh, things that they can get to, but that's still going to take them an hour to get there. So, yeah, so the Were there a lot of people doing the same thing? Hiking at the... When you guys were? Yeah, there was. Um, at the base of it, there probably had to be... Um, while we were up there, there were probably a good 500 people. Oh, wow. Which, which is a lot to have in the backcountry. So, um, the, the, it was pretty cool. I mean, the actual hiking and skiing itself was like, you basically start hiking and you put, um, like I said, when I prepared, I bought myself those metal clips. So, you, so I hiked in my scarpas, which is just my hiking boot. Um, and I put uh, the metal, you know, crampons onto the bottom of the boot itself. So those but, are meant for like ice, right? Yep, exactly. I was actually thinking about getting the ice ones, um, the longer ones. It depends on the length of them for what their intent is. Right, um, right. Because actually, 10 days before I went, you remember that news article where the girlfriend and the guy slid all the way down Mount Washington and Tuckerman's? Yeah. So um, that news article had come out and where the two basically uh, went off a cliff. They got both got knocked out and slid down like 2,000 feet. And I'm like, I'm like, what bodies? And they're, they're pretty expensive. They're like, like a, a decent pair is like $200 for the ice ones. Wow. And so, yeah. So I didn't want to really, you know, pony up that money for like a trip that I take once a year. Um, so I just got the more basic ones, which are meant just to walk in ice. Um, and they were like $24 or something like that. So, no, not bad at all. So you start, so you put those on and then you, you know, on your back is your, um, your day pack with your skis and then your ski boots are clipped into the skis, like on the side Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, everything else and the rest of your layers with plenty of water and, uh, lunch. Cause you gotta, you know, there's no restaurant up there or anything. (laughs) Self-supporting yourself. Yeah. Pretty much. So, you know, we started hiking and, uh, it started, it, it was actually snow cover all the way down to the, to the parking lot, which was crazy because the whole drive up there, there was no snow in the side of the road until you got to the actual mountain. Wow. Yeah. So, so how, then you, how long was the, uh, was the hike up itself and how long was the, the, the skiing down? So the hike, uh, the hike with everything on your back, uh, took about two and a half hours, um, to get to, uh, the, I'm sorry, about two hours to get to the cabin. There's a, there's a caretaker cabin there and everything. And then from there to the main base camp is like another 45 minutes. Now all you are is at the base. So you're just, uh, you know, so you just, you have, you still have to hike up to ski. You can't ski anywhere yet. So at that point, you start switching out your gear. So you take off your shoes and put on, you know, uh, ski boots, ski pants, jacket, everything else. They're going to need helmet. And uh, basically, we chose like a spot to put the rest of our stuff that we hiked up with. You know, so we left it there and then we just start hiking up. And it's, you're hiking up what you're going to ski down. Um, And the hike was, to me, was the scariest part. Because, I mean, this is literally like... It, you know the pitch is about 50 degrees so you're doing like you know one hand up and it keeps going and then there's certain sections of it that you know that if you slip you're gonna slide down really far so, <laughs> it's, so it's like no fall zone but ice right pretty much because uh, i mean it was soft because that's all it is there it's never really powder because powder makes it unskiable because there's too many avalanches 
dope. Uh, so all it is is either spring corn or slightly frozen. So it's like, wow. you know, yeah, so it's like crust on more crust, <laughs> not even crust on dust. Did you have ice picks to go up? Uh, no, I used my ski poles. I was debating on getting the ice pick um, as a handle. A lot of the people there did have it, and you could see that they definitely felt more secure than I did. Um, but I basically just flipped my ski poles upside down and used a handle as something to jab into. That's wild, man. Yeah, and I, and, and I moved the crampons from um, my uh, hiking boots to my ski boots as I hiked up, which helped a lot. I felt a lot safer with that. So then you get in that, well, just that section alone takes about 40 minutes. It's nothing crazy. It's fine. Um, it's actually pretty quick. Um, and then once you get up there, comes the skiing. And it, I mean, it's such a steep rollover from where you're putting your skis on to the actual pitch itself that you can't see. Like you don't know how steep it is. You don't know what's in front of you. You can't tell whatsoever. Um, all you have is like the word of the guy next to you who hiked up with you if he's done it before. And the typical answer is no. I'm like, oh, like really? <laughs> you know, so. Um, well, before we get to the ski down part, I uh, want to do a check with you. How is that weed hitting you? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for it to uh, dim down a little bit, but overall it is fantastic. Because nice. um, I see you puffing away there silently while Brian and I are talking. I'm like, all right, let's let's do a little check right now. A little cotton mouth for sure, but um, that's what the water's for. But other than that, all right. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right, so now we're now you're you're putting your skis on and getting ready to go down, right? Yeah. So my so my buddy who was on a snowboard actually um, was about four hundred you know feet to my right, um, and he drops down on that side and I drop down right below me. Um, and as I drop down, it doesn't just stop. The, it rolls over for a second and then it got really steep. I mean, probably if not the steepest, uh, face I've been on definitely tied with it steep. So, um, I think the, my buddy's phone thing, uh, like clocked him at about 58 degrees. Jeez. Yeah, it was steep. Um, and where I dropped in, there was another rollover to where um, the sun hadn't hit there. So it was very kind of like icy and firm. And if I took that next turn and missed, I would have basically been falling down rocks. So I'm like, ooh. So I took the one turn fine and just went back across where my buddy was, where the sun was shining, actually made it skiable. Yeah. But then dropping down, I mean, those couple of turns are definitely like, you know, pucker effect uh, until you start getting used to it. And, uh, so how nice. long of a uh, run was it down? You skiing for about a half hour or something like that? No. Not, uh, well, it's a little bit. So to get to the very first bowl, the bowl itself, you can ski down in like five minutes. Now, mm-hmm. That's if you're being very careful. Realistically, you can, you can punch it down uh, within a matter of like, 40 seconds and that gets you into the bowl there. But then after that was, is actually a cool part uh, where you can ski down everything you just hiked. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like alongside of like this river and this brook. And then it's like uh, um, the other por- portion of it actually goes over like a frozen river. Um, so oh, that wow. part is actually about a 25 minute ski all the way down. And it's like through like moguls and like, it's just like fun. It's just backcountry skiing, which was a blast. Cool. Yeah. It was uh, it's definitely an experience, and uh, I think uh, after this year, we decided to make it kind of a our yearly thing. 
Yeah, wow. Every year? Yeah, wow. Yeah, just close out the season with it, you know? Nice, nice. Now, when generally, what's uh, every, it's always late season, right? So it's usually what, uh, April, May? What are we talking? Um, you, yeah, you're talking about April and May. You could you could start you could start after like the third week of March, but that's kind of early because you're still getting pounded with snow up there. So you're probably looking at after mid May. I say mid May to sorry mid April to the end of May. Okay, cool. So that's pretty neat. So how did you guys get out there? You, you flew out, drove 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 from somewhere, stayed yes. somewhere. Yeah, so my buddy uh, actually lives on the outskirts of uh, Boston. Um, and, uh, you know, I basically went up to his house for the weekend. And Boston to there takes about two hours, two and a half hours of driving. So I crashed at his house, left in the morning. Um, we got to the base of the mountain at like, mm, I don't know, like nine o'clock in the morning, something like that. Yeah. And I started hiking up from there and we got you know, and basically in the middle of the hike, we got there perfectly in time for lunch. Cool. Well, that Which, sounds awesome. Yeah, it was, uh, it, it, it was pretty cool. It's, uh, it, it's definitely, it, it, there's a couple good restaurants nearby and that it's just packed with everybody else doing Mount Washington. So the, the ski vibe there is so cool. It's like, you're not talking with just your, um, you know, your typical person there. You're, you're just, uh, you're mostly going to be talking with um, a nice ski guy who maybe came from like New Zealand or something like that, or actually do this for once. There were people who came there from like Colorado that I was talking to just to like get it done and off their list. Nice. And like, yeah, it's definitely cool. Wow. Well, that sounds pretty cool to uh, put on the list. So uh, I'm glad, uh, glad you shared that with us. I'm glad you took that trip, man. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I've been, uh, you know, I put it off for as long as I could and then I just had to get it done finally. And I'm really glad I did. I'm going to make sure that's definitely, you know, part of the ritual. Like I said, you guys are gonna have to join next year, you know, I'll be, it'll be something, you know? Yeah. A little bit bigger group and get everybody up there hiking their ass up there and, uh, skiing down. Be fun. Yeah. Definitely. Under the ropes. start with a um, a story about good old Pompeii. So there was recently an archaeologist that uncovered the remains of a man uh, that were where he was crushed uh, during the fall of Pompeii. So they're saying they uncovered uh, so uh, an archaeologist working at the ancient city of Pompeii in Italy found the remains of an almost Manus uh, tried to escape the first uh, fury of Vesuvius in AD 79, only to be crushed beneath a block of stone hurled by the explosive volcanic cloud. So uh, they're saying this guy came along and just discovered this, and uh, pretty nasty. Uh, there are lesions on the skeleton's tibia, sign of a bone infection, so probably uh, something that hampered his escape. So I guess he had problems, and then he uh, uh, got buried alive pretty nasty so, have yeah. you been to pompeii um no not to pompeii that I, like I, a... the people's area where they're not actually go to pompeii itself i could see uh at mount vesuvius from where i was staying in capri but i did not um go to pompeii 
I tell you, all this shit happening in Hawaii really makes you realize that Pompeii is still an active volcano that could go again any day. And they rebuilt the whole city. Like everybody's living right next to it again. So it's kind of like that shit goes. A lot of people are getting buried again. Don't they say that it's all like linked? Like uh, as in like, you know, this going off in Hawaii has like an effect somewhere else across the world somehow. Like aren't like all the faults somehow like connected where the pressure has to even out. So if something happens here or something major is going to happen somewhere else in the world. I'm sure it would. I mean, it makes sense. Because I think it doesn't happen every day, if I'm not mistaken. There's like volcanic eruptions that happen like under the water, like constantly. Like wow. it's our, our Earth's constantly changing, like which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, between that earthquakes, uh, there's a big vo- uh, volcano in was it Norway or remember it like grounded all air travel for Europe for like like a month. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because the ashes, like yeah, I remember that. It was either yeah, but it was I think like Norway or like UK, something like that. Yeah. Where was it? It was. And that's when they like that's when I found out. I think that was it's like Norway or uh, but one of those areas up in like the Norwegian region, um, the Scandinavian region. It's like one of the most active uh, volcanic areas. But this was like one of the you know a, a volcano just out of nowhere that just you know erupted. Uh, I guess it you know they were watching it for a while, but uh, yeah, it's it pushed up so much uh, debris into the air that it, it uh, stopped air travel uh, in Europe for a while, hampered it for, I think it was like a month, month and a half. That's crazy. Crazy. And then this whole thing in, in Hawaii, man, it's just eating up, eating up land. Scary shit. So, and then uh, what's, what do we have? Yellowstone. There's a, that's the, the geysers, a, a volcano, right? Super volcano they're saying. Yeah, that entire thing of the super volcano that apparently can like uh, blow up at any moment, but it, the percentage is like so low. It's it's not due for like another like ten thousand years or something like that. Like, yeah. That's why it's kind of like a, a weird like. Uh, well, it, it's interesting the conversation about like you know saving a planet and everything because that stuff the damage that you know is currently being done is a lot faster than that rate but like overall you're not going to save it it's going to blow up at one point or another right. <laughs> it's going to cleanse itself off like it's going to take care of its own self like with the think about it, every single volcano that we know has is pretty much guaranteed to go off in the next thousand years like, yeah. right and that's not a lot so like <laughs> in a thousand years it's all going to be over anyway <laughs> it's like, well i'm all for saving the environment but i just I think it's so ironic when people say, oh, no, let's we, we're trying to save the earth. And I'm like, the earth doesn't give a shit. It'll be fine in like a thousand years to clean itself up. It'll kill us. Like, so we're saving the earth for us. That's what we're doing. We're saving ourselves. You know, I mean, it, it, it's just like uh, I don't think that uh, we don't do like anything proper, though. Like people think that like what we're doing uh, a lot of the things that we're doing don't have an effect on the environment as much as they <laughs> Um, because uh, specifically like, uh, um, you know, recycling, like a lot of the time it's not needed because the actual, uh, the actual facility itself does recycling for you. Like when it goes, when, when all right. of our goes through like a cleansing area, they separate metals and everything on their own, right? right. So, so they so, take the commingled, you don't need to separate it out. Pretty, yeah, exactly. So, so that's what I mean that a lot of things that you're doing probably aren't necessary uh, because it's already being done somewhere else for you. And, 
Well, the other thing that kills me is people are like, oh, I'm using a, a paper cup. I'm like, you know what's really being green is using a reusable mug. How about how about that? How about carry a freaking mug instead of, you know, going to Starbucks and getting, you know, paper Starbucks cup, like 20 of them in a day or five of them, whatever, you know? Pretty much. Do you, uh, do you, you know what the number one pollutant is? Hmm. Cows farting. Ah, uh, the methane? No, no, yeah, the methane gas from cows is like the number one uh, pollutant and they're causing damage to the earth right now. There's too many cows farting. Wow. I wonder if they could put like a big funnel above the cows and collect the methane. <laughs> just like sell it. One of the things out of, out of the Elon Musk book is uh, one thing he said was he believes that we're going to have to get a good source of methane uh, to have, help propel and keep rockets going back and forth to, to Mars. I'm like, that's a cool concept. So I don't know. Do you get some cows and put them up there? <laughs> send them, yeah. Send them some cows just to fart all day. <laughs> Cow pow. Well, that's like, that's like Killington work. Uh, is it Killington or Mount Snow? They advertise they use cow pow. So they use the power, but I guess it's the, uh, they burn the, um, the, yeah. The, the yeah. So they, they use it to power the uh, the resort. Pretty cool. That's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely cool. You're gonna have to hook them up to like methane. That's like free gas, man. It's true. Somebody, somebody's got to harvest that. Agreed. <laughs> it's uh, it, I don't know. I think that uh, I think ski places in general do, uh, you know pretty good job though and like uh using natural resources and stuff to run like uh um i know like killington like recycles its water that it uses to like you know blow the snow etc like they have their own like um pond there that collects all the water yeah. um you know so i think most of them try to be as energy efficient as possible but i think it's mainly because its clientele is also very environment you know conscious yeah. so you, you can't have a business that's not and you know in favor of what your clientele likes right you think yeah. you think a lot of skiers would go to a resort that's like being run on diesel making big black smoke and like you know like a whole furnace for the resort right but that's how that's how it was right that's how yeah. it all started the technology wasn't there but i think that's why a lot of them push for a lot of the environmental um you know it basically helped so but uh it, it's interesting I, I like uh you know, I like when they do a lot of stuff like that for environments. Yeah, I love to see things run efficiently. And it's funny because, like, there's that big green push of, you know, I guess when 2000, shortly after 2000 or before, there was, like, a huge green push. And um, they, uh, you know, one of the reasons big businesses are, are pushing for green, too, is it saves them money in the long run. You know, they're looking at, you know, millions of dollars in savings, uh, but it's also helping the environment. So it's like, why wouldn't they have done that anyway? dummies you know it's like they don't want to do it even though they're going to make money on it you know i don't know so but anyway so let's finish up with a uh, a little little story of a little town in florida because now that i'm in florida this is all the crazy shit that goes on last week we had the guy from clearwater i actually saw the swing set i don't know if you heard last week's uh, podcast but so there's a guy in florida who um was yelling to kids where babies came from in vulgar terms. And it was on Clearwater Beach. And I just moved to Clearwater. And I actually was at the beach this weekend and saw the swing set where the crime allegedly happened. So, huh. 
just thought that was interesting as a follow-up. But uh, uh, another thing in Florida. So in Holly Hill, Florida, a Little Caesars employer, uh, a Little Caesars employee um, in Vol- Volusia County, Florida, shot and killed a masked man who attacked him with a wooden post and scissors late Saturday. The um, the worker was says he was defending himself when he was attacked by a man wearing a clown mask. So the mask man, um, it's crazy shit. What did he do with the clown mask? I guess he had the. Okay, police have not identified. Okay, the masked man who they have not identified hit Feliciano, who's the the worker, in the face and shoulder with a wooden post until it broke, and then tried to stab him with scissors. So Feliciano said he was able to reach for his gun, uh, which was on him, and shot the man four times at close range. I would have shot him too, man. That's messed up. Yeah. And they show a picture of that mask, and it's like a bloody, creepy, like, it's not even a clown mask. It's like a ghoul mask. So, yeah, even though it's crazy, I believe that uh, that will happen. This is a... Uh, this is a concealed carry state, so for a lot of people are packing, so you gotta be careful who you're trying to attack with a uh, wooden post and stab with scissors, I guess. People don't like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> not cool, man. It's not cool. So, all right, that wraps up the podcast. Uh, Frank, uh, thanks again for being on the podcast. I know uh, Brian had to drop off a little bit early, and um, yeah, it's uh, we're gonna have to have you on again. Uh, very nice uh, hearing about the um, Tahoe white Tahoe cookies that you had today. Yeah, they were uh, pretty good. They lasted all through the podcast. Nice. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I'm sure I stumbled over a, a few thousand words, but <laughs> that's all right. Nice got there. Yeah. So those were great. Lots of fun. So we'll definitely have to have you on again. I know our listeners, if you have any feedback for us, uh, you want Frank on every week, you want him on every day, you got to let us know. Uh, give us some feedback for some uh, some goodies that he may need to try to source out and try as well. And uh, uh, yeah, any other feedback, let us know. 